Hello, good morning. Good morning. How are we all? Great, wonderful. Um, my name's Rich. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Revelation Church. Um, it's great to have you all with us, um, especially some of the Chalk Farm guys. Um, welcome again. Um, this morning, well, at this point, we're uh, actually partway through a series on um, running partners um, that we're doing. That's what we call, uh, if you like, our discipleship, our um, um, sharpening one another. Um, and Steph's going to be finishing that off next week. Um, we're four weeks in, um, and so uh, you can get them online um, and, they're all, and come back for the last one next week. Um, but this week, we're kind of um, doing something slightly um, in the middle. Um, it's a little bit of a standalone. Um, it's not necessarily tied into the series at all. Um, so it's something slightly different. Um, but I think it's something quite significant uh, for us as a church. Um, and uh, just before we start, before we get too uh, far into it, I'm going to pray um, and ask God to help us um, and uh, just reveal himself through his word um, and into our hearts and into our lives. Um, so, Lord, we do just ask that you would uh, be here this morning by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and that you would be revealing truth to us, Lord, that you would be um, challenging, encouraging, um, sharpening us as you will, Lord, that your work um, in us, Lord, would continue, and that, Lord, we would grow to maturity in faith, that we would grow to maturity in you, and that we would grow to maturity as a church, Lord, that we would um, be those that are fully obedient to you, Lord, that we would hear your voice and we walk um, in line with your spirit, we'd walk in line with what you're doing, um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, and so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to speak in a little bit to where we are at as a church um, and where we're going. Um, and I'd like to do that from um, Numbers. So if you have a Bible with you, um, then please do turn to um, Numbers. The words will come up behind me on the screen. Um, but Numbers is right towards the beginning of the Bible. It's the fourth book of the Bible. Um, and uh, before we just get too um, into the passage... Um, I just want to share a, a little bit of a prophetic word that we had as a church um, some years ago. Um, we um, had somebody come uh, to be with us, um, and they shared that we would be um, an unlikely army, um, that we would be an, an, an army that is slightly unusual, that's a little bit quirky, um, your quirkiness, my quirkiness, put it together and you've got a whole mix of all sorts of crazy. Um, but the idea was that we would be an unlikely army that was moving into North London and God was giving us the land and that God was, if you like, unfolding a plan before us as his army. And we were unlikely um, in several different respects, um, but nonetheless, we were an army and God had put us here and he positioned us on mission in North London um, at this time. Um, and alongside that at the same time, in the same prophetic word, um, we had some of the ideas begin to come through about what we're calling gospel plants. Um, and so the vision we're really living with at the moment about seeing God establish, um, if you like, postcode churches across North London. So looking to plant churches into postcodes right across North London. Um, and we're li really living with that. And so this, these two ideas of an unlikely army that is kind of on mission um, with a vision to be planting churches 
into lots of different postcodes. Um, and it's kind of quite big and quite scary and quite intimidating um, on paper. Um, but praise God, he is with us. Um, and we are confident that he will be with us as we move forward. Um, I want to look... Um, in the book of Numbers, at a point that the Israelites came to, that's God's people in the Old Testament, the point that they came to where they were actually at a pretty critical point. They were at some, something of a similar position, um, where the, if we turn to Numbers 13 and 14, up to this point, what we've seen is the people of God, so Israel as the nation, um, had been in captivity, had been enslaved in Israel. Um, and basically, God's brought them out of Israel. Um, he's uh, transformed Pharaoh's heart to let them go. Um, they've crossed the Red Sea. Um, and we probably know the story very well. Um, he's there, they've then crossed the desert. Um, they've been fed bread from heaven. Um, they've uh, essentially seen the Egyptians defeated before them as the waters closed back and they were um, drowned. Um, and at this point in uh, Numbers, they they uh, they arrive at um, what God had called the promised land. What he'd said to them, I'm taking you out of Egypt and I'm taking you into the promised land, the land of the Canaanites. That's what he said um, right back in Exodus. Um, and so the Israelites come right up to this point and they're literally on the borders. They're literally just about to cross into um, the promised land. They're just about to step into all that God had promised them, all that he'd um, given to them. And we're going to be this morning we're going to be in numbers 13 and 14 it's quite a big chunk we're not going to read the whole thing um, but I'm going to read it in three sections Um, and um, I'm going to in in each case I'm just going to pick out a few things um, that I think are particularly relevant to us Um, at this point what's happened is is the Israelites basically got to the border and then they kind of got a bit scared Um, And so God said, fine, send out spies into the land. Um, And so they pick uh, men from among the tribes of Israel and they send spies into the land to go and essentially scout it out. Um, See if it is all that God's promised it to be. See who's actually there. See what tactfully might be done um, in order to take the land. That's essentially why the spies went. um, And they were to bring back a report um, to um, a guy called Moses um, and uh, Aaron. And they were basically going to then, from that report, think of a strategy, pray and see how God would then take them into the land. Um, And so we arrive um, in Numbers 13. And we're going to start by reading... Uh, from verses 25 um, to 33. Um, So Numbers 13, verses 25 to 33. That's a little bit small, isn't it? But hopefully hopefully we can all follow it. Um, At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites, dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. 
Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there was there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. And so they come back, they bring back this report to Moses and to Aaron, um, these 12 spies that have gone out. Um, they come back, and what's interesting is they all see the same thing. So it's not like they went to different lands, right? It's not like, like Caleb just went to somewhere completely different and like thought, actually, we can do this, whereas the other uh, 10 were like, no, we can't do this. These guys are crazy. Um, actually, they went to exactly the same place. They, they saw exactly the same cities. They saw exactly the same fruit. They saw exactly the same people. They saw exactly the same um, nations occupying the land, which actually shouldn't have been a surprise to them. Because um, if we look right back at Exodus, that's exactly what God said. I'm taking you out of Egypt to give you the land of the Canaanites that's inhabited by all of these people. That's exactly what God had said. Um, and yet these, these 10 spies, um, they kind of can't get their head around it. Um, if you like, they're kind of blinded by the fear of these people. Their interpretation is that we cannot overcome them. And that's exactly the point, that they couldn't overcome them because they were too weak. This, these are guys that had just been traipsing through the desert, um, and so they were probably pretty tired. Um, and by that stage, they were probably exhausted and got to this point, and they were just like, man, we just want to rest. Um, and yet God has called them to go into the promised land. And so we reach this quite interesting point where they're kind of just almost blinded by um, the opposition. They're blinded by the, the obstruction, the obstacles in the way, if you like, these people that seem like giants, these cities that are well fortified. Um, and they kind, of put, they kind of put it on themselves. They kind of talk themselves out of it right at the end. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Well, there wasn't anybody in the land that said that they were like grasshoppers. They said, we seem like grasshoppers to ourselves. That's, what, that's our analysis of the situation. Um, and that's what we look like to them. But that didn't actually come from the people. That was something that they put on themselves, almost by way, I think, of trying to talk themselves out of it. Just thinking, we can't do this. Um, and yet, I wonder how often we can be tempted to get a little bit blindsided by obstacles. Kind of what are those big obstacles that we can often think is, is obstructing our view and kind of almost obstructs our view of God's plan and God's purpose throughout history? What are those things? Maybe it's people, maybe it's situations, maybe it's family, maybe it's relationships, whatever it is. What are, these th what are those things that are obstructing our view and causing us to doubt, causing us to question um, what God's really called us to? Because it seems that Caleb um, actually has a completely different perspective. Caleb almost sees the bigger picture. So Caleb says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And Caleb knows that in going to overcome it physically, it's probably not something they can do, as we'll see right at the end of chapter 14. But actually, in God, of course it's something they can do, because he's spoken it to them. He's promised to take them up out of Egypt and take them into the promised land. And so we have this interesting perspective where we get this report of the 10 um, and from Caleb. Um, and 
there's also Joshua who's alongside Caleb at this point, but Joshua seems incredibly quiet um, throughout this passage of scripture, um, which is why there's the 10 and Caleb, seemingly. Caleb seems to be a bit of a spokesperson. Um, and so we've got the 10 and Caleb and Joshua, who's just kind of a little bit quiet. Um, but later on, we see that he's kind of would agree more with Caleb um, in that respect. And so then how do they react as a people? How do the people of Israel, how do God's people react? Knowing the promises, knowing what God's called them to, how do they react? Well, let's look at the next passage then down into um, chapter 14. Um, So chapter 14, verses 1 to 10. Um, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept at night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become, like, become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to, another, to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Really not a good idea. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, um, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Not only do we do not, sorry, only do not rebel against the Lord um, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And so you see, the, the, the reaction that the ten spies seem to have is, is, or at least their solution is to go back to Egypt, where they were in captivity, where they were oppressed, where they were abused, where they were um, under subjugation of the Egyptians, which actually on the face of it is completely illogical, given that they've just fled the Egyptians who were coming after to kill them. So they're saying, well, we'd rather go back and get killed by them than um, kind of move forward and get killed by others. It doesn't make any sense. Either way, it doesn't end well for them. Right, But there's this fear that's got into them. There's this fear of kind of, well, if we can just prolong things, if we can try and kind of postpone the inevitable, um, then maybe something will happen. Um, And what we we find is that actually these 10 spies, they kind of spread this fear and this unbelief right throughout the Israelites until the whole congregation come to Moses and Aaron. They're like, look, let us go back. This is too too much for us. and they seem to have forgotten the promise. They seem to have forgotten what God has promised to them, which is why um, Caleb uh, then says, duh, 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 the land of which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he has brings into the land to give it to us, a flan- land that flows with milk and honey. That's almost a direct quote of what God had said to the Israelites in Exodus. He said, this is a part of a bigger picture. This is a part of something bigger than just our current circumstances. Um, And then um, he reminds them of the promise. um, And even to the point where he says, look, come on, guys, these they're not giants. They're bred for us. He said, if God has gone before us, then their protection has been removed. So what if they've got fortified cities? So what if they're twice the size of us? Their protection has been removed. They're now vulnerable because God is with us. This is what God's called us to. And I often think of it like um, 
if you ever go to sort of the National Gallery or anything and you see those enormous um, paintings, beautiful paintings, um, it's kind of like if you were to take those paintings, take the, f take the frames off, um, take the mounting out until you literally just had the canvas, then it's kind of, it's kind of a little bit floppy and a bit flappy and all over the place. And actually from there, I mean, this is, these things are enormous, right? Um, and at that point you can kind of get down on the ground, you can pick up certain parts and you can look at particular details. So for instance, you could look at a particular horse and cart that's traveling through the British countryside or something or whatever, right? Um, and you can get so caught up with kind of the finer details. And what's happening here is almost the perspective that God's given throughout history is kind of like putting the frame on. It's kind of like giving structure to the whole thing. It's kind of gilding it in gold and standing it on a wall and pride of place. And kind of like you just take a step back and you think, man, this thing is big. What God is doing is huge. And that's exactly what's happening with the Israelites. Caleb and Joshua are like, come on, guys. This is what God's called us to. This is what he's promised. This is where we're going. Um, and, and yet the Israelites seem to just be so caught up with uh, kind of the details in a way. And it's not that those details aren't insignificant. You know, I mean, I'm not sure I would want to go into battle against people that are twice the size of me. Right? It does take faith. It does take courage. It does take boldness. Um, and so on the one hand, it's kind of understandable. But given that God has promised and he's brought them this far and they've seen testimony after testimony, they've seen provision after provision of God acting for them. And now they're on this point and they kind of all of a sudden they get scared. They get cold feet. Um, and then finally, um, if we the last passage we'll look at, we'll jump to um, Numbers uh, chapter 14, and then down to verses 20 um, to 25. Perfect. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. So basically what's happened at this point, so right at the end of the last part we read, basically they're about to stone Caleb and Joshua because they're kind of like, you guys, we just need to get rid of you. So they're about to literally pick up rocks and hurl them at them to kill them. Um, and at that point, God seems to step in. So right at the end of the last passage, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So God's just going, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then God says, I'm going to wipe the lot of you out. I'm just going to get rid of all of you except for Joshua and Caleb because you're the only ones that are faithful. You're the only ones that have heard what I've actually got to say. You're the only ones that are actually believing the promise. Um, he says, I'm going to wipe the lot of you out. Except Moses then says, but God, remember your promise to this people. Remember your promise that you would bring them into a spacious land. You can't go back on your promise. Um, and God seems to, um, we get this funny dialogue in the previous verses where God seems to kind of um, give consent to that. And he's like, do you know what? You're right. For, for the sake of my name, um, I will, I will honor it. But he says, then come in, into verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which uh, he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. And so at this point, um, we get quite an interesting um, 
turning point where basically God says, well, fine, those 10, those 10 tribes, those guys, that everyone that saw what I did in Egypt, everyone that saw me deliver them out, everyone that saw me provide in the desert, everyone that saw me give the, the Ten Commandments or the, the um, Moses, shame, Moses, look, Moses' face shine and when he saw God, none of those people are going to go into the promised land. And after that, after in the next verses, he says they're now going to wander around the desert for 40 years. One year for every day they were in the land and didn't believe me. One day for every year that they were in the land and didn't believe me. Um, and so none of those are going to inherit the land except for um, Caleb. Um, he says, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. And so we get this interesting point where, if you like, the ten spies, they don't get to come into the inheritance that God has for them. And yet Caleb and Joshua seem to. They have this, they, because, of, because of what God calls their, a different spirit, they seem to come into the land. They come into the goodness, the fullness. Okay, it's 40 years later, but they still get to see this land flowing milk and honey. They still get to come into the goodness um, and the fullness of what God has promised. Um, it's interesting that this seems to be the turning point of verse 24. Um, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. What does that mean to have a different spirit? Well, if we look at it in this, in this, in this context, the word spirit literally just means breath or wind. Um, it, we see it translated as, as spirit. It's kind of like the essence of who they are. Um, it's kind of their very being. Um, they have a different, if you like, perspective. They have a different personality. They have a different um, something within them, if you like. They have a different spirit. And they obeyed fully and has followed me fully. There was an obedience that just believed God for the promises, that believed God for what he'd said what years ago, back in Exodus, when they came out of um, Egypt, when Moses um, was first, first went to rescue the Israelites. Um, there's this kind of promise that he remembers, um, and he's like, no, this is the bigger picture. There's a bigger thing going on here. God is about bringing us into a land um, that flows with milk and honey, a good um, and spacious place. Um, the idea of spirit here is kind of like the very breath. He breathes it in. It's like he breathes in the air of faith. He breathes in the air of, of, of what God's called him to. He, believe, he kind of breathes it into his very being, gets inside of who he is. And he's excited by God's plan. He's excited um, by what God's called him to. And he sees exactly the same thing. This is the thing. He sees exactly the same obstacles. He sees exactly the same people. He sees exactly the same cities. And yet his, he, instead of seeing um, obstacles and obstructions and difficulty and trouble, he sees opportunity. He sees an opportunity, an adventure in God to see God bring them all into all that he's called them to um, and all that he's promised. Um, I don't actually think at this stage that Caleb had an idea of how that was going to work. I don't actually think Caleb knew how they were going to do it. Um, but I think, he, he, I think what he understood was that God was with them. And if God was with them, then that was enough. Whereas the ten, the ten spies didn't. They didn't believe that God could do it. They didn't believe um, that God was enough for them. 
They saw these obstacles as insurmountable um, to the point where they then repent and then they're like, fine, we'll go up and we'll, 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 we'll do it. We're on board now. And it's kind of like God's just reprimanded them. And he even says to them um, at the end, verse 25, he's, God basically says, look, because the Canaanites um, and the Amalekites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the Red Sea. He's like, look, just get out of here. I've brought you too close and you're not up for this. Get out of here. Right. And yet we see them repent. And then right at the end of chapter 14, they're like, no, we're going to do this. And so they gather together and they go up to the hill country and they basically get defeated and they turn around and they leg it. And God's not with them. That's the point is that God wasn't with them. God had told them not to go up, and yet they did it anyway. There was something, there was something of it took so much to get to that, that get them to that point, there was just no faith in them. They were just doing it out of kind of um, sure, willpower at that point. There was no obedience, and there was no listening to what God was doing. And so I guess for us, what does this mean? Well, you might be listening to this and thinking, well, I'm... I'm I'm not Christian here. Um, I don't really get kind of all of this whole history thing about the Israelites and what it means and all of that. Um, to be honest, there's a very clear message that actually God has called us to be people of a different spirit and God has called us to be people of obedience. And the Bible is really clear that the first step we take on that journey is coming to say sorry to God, coming to repentance in him, putting our trust in him um, for all our rebellion for all our wrongdoing, for all our turning away of his great plan and his great purpose um, being worked out. And actually, that's the first step we can make, is actually coming to put our trust in him. And as we do that, um, the Bible says that he pours out his Holy Spirit on us, that he pours his spirit into us. It says in Joel that one day he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And we live in those times where God's spirit has been poured out on his people, the very breath of God, the very being of God, the very essence of who God is has been poured out on his people. And if you're a believer, then that's the privileged position we find ourselves in today, that actually now our spirit testifies with his spirit that we are children of God. What an honor that actually there's this uniting of spirit. It seems that Caleb made a decision to live by a different spirit. He chose not to give in to fear. He chose not to see the obstacles. He chose not to um, live in unbelief. Um, but he chose to believe God. He lived by a different spirit and he obeyed fully. He followed him fully. He followed him right to the end. And actually, that's very much what happens in us. When the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and our spirit is joined with his spirit, there's a unity that comes and so actually in the Old Testament, where God would dwell in external places, like we saw in chapter 14, he dwells um, in the tent. He comes to the tent of meeting. Um, it, we, we now are that tent of meeting. God now comes to dwell inside of us. He comes to commune with us, which means when we talk about a different spirit, we're talking about a spirit that lives and resides in us. Um, we're talking about um, what God has done in us in uniting our spirit with his spirit. And so there are many things that can kind of steal us of, of what God's called us to, of what God's promised us. And so to bring it right back to what I was sharing at the beginning about how we feel that God's called us to plant churches right across North London, in every postcode across North London, probably even multiple in postcodes, just a helpful thing to give us an idea of what we're looking at. 
God hasn't spoken that specifically, but he's spoken about churches across North London. And so that's what we're doing. That's what we're in faith for. That's what we're believing God for. Um, And we want to be those that live by a different spirit. Those that aren't going to be intimidated because that's a particularly rough area or the crime rate's really shocking. Or we're not going to be intimidated because, well, that, that place is just too hard. Or I'm not sure we can quite take that. Or I don't fit in with those kinds of people. We want to live by a different spirit that says, do you know what? We, don't, we know we don't belong here. The Bible says that we should live as aliens and strangers in the world. We, of course we don't belong here. We belong, we belong with him in heaven and glory forever and eternity. But whilst we're here, God's placed us here on mission. God's placed us here to see his kingdom come, to see his promises, to see his grand plan worked out. And so I guess the call for us today is to take a step back. What's the grand plan that God is working out? Well, actually, it's bigger than just us. It's bigger than just Revelation Church. We can apply it into various things, but it's bigger than us. It's about what God's doing in your workplace. It's about that dominating boss. It's about how do you handle that situation with with quite a fragile relationship with a colleague? Or how do you handle the pressures when people place certain expectations on you? Well, of course you're going to do this. Well, why don't you just come and do... Do you see what I mean? There's loads of different things that would try and vie for our attention, vie for um, our... um, And would try and, uh, if you like, block or obscure our view of what God's doing. And that's why we've got to be so clear to cling to promises, cling to the word of God, cling to what he's told us and cling to some of those prophetic promises from him and actually have a spirit that sees um, beyond just the circumstances, a spirit that lives in obedience um, to what he's called us to. It's really important that we don't get caught up with thinking this is just kind of like, well, if we just believe it, it'll happen. Um, Because actually that's not really founded on anything. You have to root it somewhere, right? Otherwise, it's just wishful thinking. Um, I, I have been called a hopeless optimistic on more than one occasion. Um, and I think at times that's probably been true. Um, but I think the reality is God calls us to be optimistic. God calls us to see those giants as bread for us. God calls us to see those fortified cities as having their forces and forti- fortifications removed, uh, seeing them vulnerable. So I guess there's a challenge here. What, what are we thinking? What are the areas of North London that we see as vulnerable? What are the areas of North London that God is calling us to step into? And it's just at this stage, you know, there are conversations that are happening with ones and twos, but it's bigger than that. What is God calling us into? What are we going to live by a different spirit to see realized? Um, so if you like, um, I, hope it, I hope it's been helpful in terms of setting a context of what we're looking at. This is big picture stuff. It's not, it's not working out the details, right? It's about living by a governing principle that we are going to live by faith and that we are going to be obedient to what God's called us to. If we make that decision then it informs and changes every other decision we make. Everything. It's like that frame around the picture that just, if you like, just puts it square on the wall and gives us a bigger perspective of what's going on. That sees God's plan and our part in it as not just, well, you know, well, I became a Christian and now da-da-da, and this is what he's called me to, this is the gifts he's given me, da-da-da-da. It sees it as part of God created the universe and he sustains it by his powerful word, 
and he has a track record and a history of faithfulness to his people. And we have been brought into that relationship. We are now his people. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. And that actually he has a plan and a purpose where he will wrap things up with the fullness of time when he returns um, in his glory. What an honor to be part of such a big picture. What an honor to be part of his grand plan. And like I say, the first step, if you're not a believer here, is to come and put your trust in Jesus. To come and say, do you know what? I've lived like one of those ten spies in rebellion. But I want to come and I want to surrender and believe you. I want to, I want to engage with a spirit of faith that believes you. And I want to walk in obedience to follow you. Uh, why don't we stand? If... Um, if you just, um, if just as I was talking about those obstacles that obscure your vision of the bigger picture, whatever that is, um, whatever form it takes, um, whether that is a relationship, whether that's a family situation, whether that's work, um, just in your heart, why don't you just bring that before God um, and maybe just lift your hands um, as, just as a sign, really, that, you wanna, that, you, that you're open um, to God working, that you're open to God moving. Um, just where you are, just lift your hands. And I just feel as well if there's people that um, it's almost like you, you, don't, you don't have the framework of the bigger picture. And it's kind of like you, you've kind of got lost in the details somewhere. The busyness of life, the details of, of, of just getting on with things. You've kind of lost something of the bigger picture. You've lost something of the awe and the majesty of what God's doing. Just like he spoke to the Israelites, said, I'm taking you out of this land into a new land. Just lift your hands. And also those of us that would tend to get, that would naturally get caught up with the detail. Those of us that would naturally um, zero in on particular details, on particular things. Um, that would, I, I just really feel like God wants to change some perspective. It's not that those things are bad. It's not that those things are negative. Um, but it's just about context. It's about obedience. Um, and it's about believe in God and be living in obedience, um, that as he calls, that as uh, he takes us on, that we are obedient to that voice. Um, and it's not that we just have to have everything sewn up. It's not like the Israelites were, they, they kind of, they couldn't see how it would unfold. Well, neither could Caleb, neither could Joshua. And yet they were in faith because they knew what God had called them to, and they knew that if they lived by obedience, then God would just unfold every single one of the things that needed to happen um, along the way. Um, if that's you too, then just lift up your hands, and I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you, Lord, thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. Lord, that your plans are beyond our plans. Lord, thank you that you um, see the end from the beginning. Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega. Lord, you are the beginning and the end. Lord, you are the author of creation. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you are um, just incredible and you are uh, about working out an incredible plan um, here in North London. Yeah. And Lord, we just say that we incline our hearts to you. Lord, we just say that we want to live with a spirit of obedience, a spirit of faith, a spirit that believes you, like Caleb did, with a different spirit. Lord, we want to live with a spirit that isn't determined by this world, that isn't um, persuaded by pressures, Lord Jesus. And we just pray, fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would be able to hear your voice. 
Lord, and that that marrying between our spirit and your spirit, Lord, would just create such a union of power and love. Lord, we thank you for what you've called us to. Lord, we just say before you now, we want to be obedient to your voice. We want to be obedient to what you've called us to. And we want to walk according to your plan. And that, Lord, we just say that we trust that as we do that, as we believe you for this bigger picture stuff, Lord, that actually the details get ironed out along the way. Lord, that actually the tricky situations at work or the difficulties with family or maybe the the, the uncomfortableness with neighbours or whatever it might be, Lord, we believe you that you work out all of those things, Lord, when we fix our eyes on your bigger plan. When we see them not as obstacles but as opportunities for your grace. Lord, when we see them not as insurmountable, Lord, but as we see them as, as, as food for us, Lord, as an opportunity for you to work. In Jesus' name. Amen.